Showtime! We are live, ladies and gentlemen. So ESG is the backbone of the Great Reset. We've made that clear time and time again here on the In the Tank podcast. And while we've made significant progress in fighting against ESG, it still remains an existential threat to our liberty and free markets. And that's a real existential threat, not one of those climate change ones. With the presidential primaries approaching, we produced a report card grading the candidates on their positions on ESG. We're going to be, we're going to discuss this report and talk about which candidate is best equipped to fight against the Great Reset. We're talking about all this and more on episode 420 of the In the Tank podcast. <laughs> Booyah! Welcome to the In the Tank podcast. As always, I'm your host, Donald Kendall. Joining us, I've got a full crew. I've got Jim Lakely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? Hey, dummies. Yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, and I just said that because you you called me a dummy uh, before, right before we went out of the air. And that's my line. That's that, that's my line that I stole from uh, 30 Rock, of course. But uh, it's good to have you back in the saddle uh, as host uh, this week, Donnie. Um, I tried to fill in ably. For you last week, and um, by all accounts, I was pretty terrible. So, uh, welcome back. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't catch the show. I'm assuming that with the host off, you know, you probably just did a lighthearted show, talked about some top 10, you know, goofy list or something like that. Yeah, there wasn't a lot in the news uh, uh, to lead up to the last podcast. So, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty light. Fantastic. <laughs> also joining us, we have Chris Talgo, editorial director here at the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? Donnie, it's good to see you back. You know, Jim did a great job, but I, I, I agree. It's just not the same without you. Bring that, bring that uh, unique flair to the show. Also, with a unique flair, we got Justin Haskins, director of the Socialism Research Center here at the Heartland Institute, rocking his whalers cap. What's going on, Justin? That's right. That's right. Representing New England. Um, well, I, I just want to, I just want to clear something up because. As you all know, I am a truth teller. That's all. That's all I do is tell the truth. I don't ever lie. And I have to call out uh, Donald here. He's a liar. Um, oh. Earlier in this very show, he's already lying. Earlier oh. in the show, he suggested that he didn't watch the episode <laughs> that Jim was hosting. He not only watched it, he, he watched it with bated breath. He had he had he forced me to watch it against my will. We were at lunch just trying to relax, and instead we're on we're on his stupid little phone, his garbage phone, watching this show with bated breath, breath, him uh, commenting throughout the show as if he was on it. He's he's just commenting throughout the show. He he pretends like he doesn't care, but this is that just wasn't it wasn't true. Forget it, Donnie. You're out of your element. That's right. Uh, I, I caught some. I caught some of it. You know, uh, I had to be in there for the the audience that you know were calling for, clamoring for my return. I just had to make sure that that voice was heard. Uh, you know, among the legions of unheard voices. So, 
that's why I tuned in. But he before also, we get into it, posted in the comments section mm -hmm. a message calling for himself to come back. That's no proof to the of show. <laughs> All right, before we get going, audio-only listeners that are probably catching this show on a Friday or later, you could join us a day earlier on Thursdays at noon Central Time, where we're live-streaming this on Facebook and YouTube and Rumble and Twitter, and you can join the conversation, throw your comments and uh, and questions in the chat. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. If you want to support the show, you can by using that Super Chat function we have enabled, where you can pretty much guarantee your comment or question is read on air. It's a great way to support the show, but you could also support the show just by leaving a review for us on iTunes if you're an audio-only listener. Or if you're watching, subscribing, sharing this content, leaving a comment, or just liking the video, all those things won't cost you a penny. Only it'll cost you a couple of seconds, but helps break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people. So, Justin and I were not on the show, as we have mentioned. See, look, James Miller, so glad Donald is back. I know, I know. Keep it down, everybody. We're trying to do a show here. Uh, Justin and I were in Dallas last week, uh, meeting with some, uh, you know, some various people doing some media stuff. Justin, what do you have to say about our trip to Dallas? What do you want to reveal? So we got some, we got some really cool things in the works. Uh, I don't know if we should talk about, if we should talk about any of them just, just yet, but we've got some, we've got some cool projects in the works. We're going to be rolling out uh some partnerships with uh with the blaze and glenn beck and some of the stuff that he's doing and um you know i, I think it's i think it's going to be really exciting i think i think people are going to be blown away by it it's unlike anything that we've we've done before so some really cool things um got a chance to go on a bunch of radio shows tv shows they it's like a sweatshop over there they work you to death um but uh, I will say the most important thing that happened was not any related to anything having to do with me. It had nothing to do with me. Um, it was D Donald, uh, stalked is the only, is I think the most accurate way of, of describing it. Stalked one of the TV hosts for the blaze TV, a guy named Alex Stein. I don't yeah, know. And if, if you, if you don't know Alex Stein, be careful Googling him. That's all I have. Yeah. To say. Be, be careful Googling <laughs> Alex Stein. He basically made his, he, his show on the blaze is relatively new. It's like within the last year or so, uh, he sort of became famous doing these skits and man on the street type things and going to, um, like city council meetings and stuff and kind of pranking the members of the city council and, and those kinds of things. So, um, he's now got a show on the blaze. It's like, unlike any show, uh, out there, I guess you could say that's putting it. Lightly. Uh, and so after Donnie stalked him and uh, begged him for attention, oh, I, 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 things, I'll admit to a stalking, um, not begging. <laughs> Alex Stein suggested that Donald come on the show. Uh, and we both thought that was a joke and probably not real. But um, it turns out it is real. It's all too real. So Donald is going to be going on the show. Uh, is it in? Do we know if it's in studio yet or not? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll be there. So we're going to be going to a conference in Dallas um, in Beginning a couple of, of weeks. Yeah. yeah. And he and, and while we're there. Donald's going to go in studio to do a live, uh, basically a semi comedy skit show. <laughs> <laughs> That's like 
uh, unlike anything you've ever seen before. So if you don't know who Alex Stein is, I urge you, I implore you, uh, YouTube it, watch just even like 30 seconds of clips and you'll get a sense of what this is and yeah. how absolutely absurd it is that he's going to, that Donald's going to go on the show and how I cannot stress this enough. This is, I am, I am looking forward to this um, more than literally anything. There is literally <laughs> nothing that I could imagine that would be more entertaining than watching Donald go on the show uh, and be, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. He could be dressed Jim. up in a bear suit. They could shoot things at him. Uh, I mean, probably anything likely. is possible. Yeah, it, it is Jim, likely. It's that, Jim, kind of you know, Justin, when I told Justin about this, he was like, oh my gosh, like, are you sure you want to do this? But Jim, on the other hand, you're like, oh, that's awesome. Can't wait for it. So, uh, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> explain your, uh, you know, different perspective than Justin here. Well, I mean, you know, uh, he's, <laughs> I don't know what you're going to do on that show, if it's going to be uh, whether you're going to be live or not. But you showed me the reason I thought it was awesome is that you showed me the video. You did a little uh, a little selfie video. Um, I guess a hype. You, you wanted him to, you know, how like you, you can call up a celebrity. And uh, actually, there's actually some celebrities do this. You pay them to like yeah. give a personal message, like a maybe a birthday. Happy birthday to my son. You're the best. Or often. uh angry things <laughs> telling people that they that they stink i think i saw one recently where uh uh hank from breaking bad the actor who played hank in breaking bad um you know was was paid about maybe 200 dollars to yell at somebody <laughs> on video by name and so you showed me your hype video with uh with with uh alex stein and then he said something at the end shouted something and i was like what what did he say what did he say he goes pimp on a blip Pip on a blimp. That's kind of his, uh, I guess, maybe one of his catchphrases. So, uh, yeah, last night I decided to um, prepare the world for your appearance on Alex Stein by making a little uh, a little graphic art. In fact, um, Alex Stein and uh, and Donald Kendall with his finger guns, they're uh, going to be traveling the world. I can change that background. In fact, you know what? If you pay us $100, I will put the background of your choice, Donnie, in that thing and, uh, and send it to you so you can frame it and put it in your house uh, in, a, in a handsome place in your house fantastic fantastic <laughs> yep well I'm, I'm looking forward to it i think it's gonna be a lot of fun uh you know i he i'm a big fan of the guy that's... what can i say and uh you know I, i'm that's all i can say looking forward to it don't know what to expect i'm not gonna do any prep i'm just gonna walk into it and just go along for the ride that's my uh there's no preparing for what that's, I, that's I don't know what pimp on a blimp means, but um, I'm curious. It, it, now. It, it, well, I think Christine looked it up. I think she I think she looked up some clips based on her reaction. Right. <laughs> yeah. There, but, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we got a lot to talk about. So let's put this aside. We talk about the after, you know, in the episode, I come back after the show. We can we can talk about it. So. Uh, oh no, we're not going to talk about it. We're going to play clips of it for we'll sure. We'll break it down. We'll react <laughs> yeah. to it. <laughs> That's what we should do. We should have a live reaction episode for it. All right. Anyways, uh, let's let's get to it. We got we got a lot to talk about. So, like I mentioned at the forefront of the podcast here, ESG is the backbone of the Great Reset. This is all about changing the global economic system to a stakeholder model or a stakeholder capitalism system where ESG, the social credit score uh, for corporations, is paramount. It is, it is more important than the, than the other metrics that we have judged corporations by, companies by, private uh, actions by for you know hundreds of years. Uh, now it's going to be replaced by this social credit score called ESG. So it's uh, it's 
like I said, backbone of the Great Reset. It's an incredibly important thing. Justin and I and, and uh, Chris and others in the Socialism Research Center and Heartland in general and others just kind of in the in the field itself have dedicated years to fighting against this. And we have seen some success. Um, I've mentioned this before. We've seen waves of legislation at uh, a state level uh, across the country. A number of states have taken action. We've seen uh, uh, the kind of the, the idea of ESG kind of permeate the the uh, conservative lexicon when it comes to um you know when it comes to just like topics that are that are you know uh, important and we should worry about so that is a very important achievement that we've that we've achieved larry fink and others have kind of uh, you know shied away from esg ever since the profile has been raised larry fink basically saying that esg is kind of a tarnished term and maybe we should kind of go away from it other people have dropped out of these little uh, organizations that are there specifically to promote esg so we've seen a lot of action on it but i have to warn everybody that this issue is far from dead it is not even close to dead basically a lot of those things especially the larry fink one and some of the other stuff that we've covered is is just like pr uh positioning like we're not going to call it esg we're, we're just going to do it under something else you know we're going to keep it under wraps a little bit fly under the radar or whatever you know and then conservatives over here thinking that we're winning take our eyes off the prize and we focus on something else, but we shouldn't because it is still an incredibly important thing. That's why we built this um, um, presidential report card based on their anti ESG uh, positions, rhetoric, all of the different uh, actions that they've taken to fight back against ESG. But before we talk about that, I really want to drive home the point that ESG is still an incredibly important and influential thing that the Davos elites and other proponents and advocates of ESG are not taking their foot off the gas. Um, so there's a couple of stories. Half of these, most of these, maybe all of these, were sent to me by Justin, or at least referred to me by Justin. So Justin, I'm going to lean on you to explain a handful of these stories. The first one is a story that I found in Politico. Uh, that's Treasury outlines guidance for net zero financing. So this is based around a nine principles document that the Biden administration's treasury sent to banks and other financial institutions just a couple of weeks ago. And it outlines how these banks and financial institutions better get their ducks in a row when it comes to financing net zero goals and all of that, um, which ties directly into the E, the most important letter of ESG. So Justin, explain the significance of this story. Yeah, so the Biden administration has essentially been telling financial institutions. Now, we we were told a while back when we wrote the when we wrote the Great Reset uh, book with Glenn Beck came out in early 2022. We were called conspiracy theorists for outlining um, this collusion that's going on between the government and financial institutions and um, big investment management firms um, that we outlined very clearly in that book and prior to that book coming out as well and a, a whole bunch of different articles uh, where we were showing that this collusion was primarily focused on the financial system, banking, and investment. And what they were doing is using ESG social credit scoring type metrics as a way 
to try to force the entire economy to transform along left-wing goals. And sometimes that manifests itself in environmental causes and other times about social justice causes. And we were told that this is largely just a conspiracy theory, that it isn't really happening, and that and that the Biden administration isn't really doing uh, anything to, to promote this. Now, we know for, for a fact that that's, there's been lots of things that have happened uh, over the past couple of years that have proven that that's just not true. The Biden administration is actively promoting an ESG agenda, and they're trying, they're colluding with private industry to do the things that they can't get passed through Congress. So they can't, they can't do a lot of the stuff that they, the most radical, especially environmental things, um, and climate agenda type things. They can't get that passed through Congress. So instead, they ally themselves with these big, gigantic corporations, all of whom are benefiting from the Biden administration in a variety of different ways and from the Federal Reserve and others. They they have colluded with them in order to get the job done, right? So this is just a really good example of that. It's, a, it's one of the more recent examples of it. The Biden administration reaches out to these financial institutions and they say, look, we're not saying you have to do these things. We're not saying that this is like the law. It's not the law. But we really think it would be a good idea if you did these principles that we're outlining for you, financial institutions. And what these what these principles effectively do is suggest that financial institutions kill the entire fossil fuel industry, that they completely transform the um, modern energy system that we have in the United States, and that the way that they would do it is through net zero financing initiatives um, through the financial institutions. So if the financial institutions all get together and say, we're not giving bank accounts to people, we're, uh, we're not giving checking accounts to people and, and, uh, and businesses, we're not going to finance uh, through loans and things like that, gasoline-powered cars, and and we're not going to uh, promote industries that rely on fossil fuels. Or we're going. What we're going to do is, if we're going to finance those things, we're going to make them scale those activities back and put a plan in place to eventually phase out of using fossil fuels and other things that produce uh, greenhouse gas emissions. If if we all do that, as if all the financial institutions do that, then the economy must change. It has to adapt to that because you can't have, even if all the businesses in the world don't didn't want to go along with this, and a lot of them are fine with going along with this, but even if none of them wanted to go along with it, except for the financial institutions, that would be enough to force the entire economy to change because if you can't get a bank account, you can't get a checking account, if you can't get a loan, if you can't get financing, if you can't do bonds and, and things like that to raise capital, then you can't exist. You can't exist as a business. You can't function as a human being in this society, in modern society. You wouldn't be able to buy a house. You wouldn't be able to buy a car because eventually they're going to make it so that you can only buy electric cars through the financial system. They're going to make it so that you can only get a house that has solar panels on the roof, right? That's what this is all about. It's about moving in that direction. So they're not saying overnight, we think you should kill everything. But what they're saying is, that you should be putting plans into place, meaning banks, financial institutions, putting plans into place, and this would probably include uh, insurance as well, that phases out the use of fossil fuels over time by making it so that no one can do business with you unless they are on a path toward getting rid of this stuff. 
And um, so this is a way of, of if you can, can now remember, this is not a regulation because they don't have the legal authority to do this. This is not a regulation. It's not a law. It's just a suggestion. That's how they're presenting it. But it's not just a suggestion because we know, as we've documented over and over and over again in a bunch of different videos on this channel, a bunch of videos on the Heartland channel, a bunch of videos, a bunch of articles at heartland.org. If you go to the ESG tab on the heartland.org homepage, you'll find a whole bunch of things related to this. The Great Reset book that we did with Glenn Beck, the Dark Future book that we published with Glenn Beck earlier this year, all of this stuff documents that the government is in the Biden administration and in Europe especially are working hand in hand with these big financial firms and big corporations and other big interests, uh, big tech companies included, to transform society in this way. And this is just, just picture-perfect proof of that. It's, hey, guys, this is how you should do things. And the financial yeah. institutions, I guarantee it, are going to adopt it. And if anybody questions it and says, well, what are you doing? This is going to be bad for your business. I What they're going to say is, they're going to say, look, we don't want to be on the bad side of, of the federal government here. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to be doing what they're suggesting. And it's just a matter of time before they force us to do this anyway. So why don't we get on board with it? And that's what this is all about. It's sending right. a signal to these big businesses that they, these financial institutions that they got to start accelerating the plan. And I don't know how they could be clear. They literally are putting out a nine step plan for mm -hmm. doing this or nine things, check boxes that you need to check. If you're a financial institution, that's the whole point of this. Yeah, you know, transforming so, society. So, Chris, I, I, there's another article, and we won't get into this one super in depth, but uh, another article that I put in the show notes that's a Bloomberg piece: banks told to review cli uh, clients amid historic ESG crackdown in the European Union. And th there's a whole bunch of stories like that. Uh, you know, this is a, a, a drum that Justin has been kind of banging all of the stuff that's going on in Europe that makes what's going on in the United States kind of look a little bit softer. Um, and it's just like recently I was just looking at all the different op-eds that you've written about ESG over the past several months. And there's a handful of them that makes it seem like just based on the headline and some of the some of the stories, it's like, yeah, we're winning. Larry Fink is kind of turned off by the idea of ESG. Some of these different uh, insurance groups are pulling out of a, you know, Glasgow alliance of whatever it is. It seems like just based on some of these things that uh, that we're winning. But it's but when you look into it, it's like those are superficial things and the things that are going on um, that uh, uh, that aren't getting as much attention paid to it are like big things like this. So is the is the fight against ESG going in the right direction or the wrong direction right now? What do you think? Um, I don't have a simple answer to that, because first of all, I think this fight, it, you know, goes way back before ESG uh you know, came to the mainstream. This has been happening since, you know, the 1970s with the whole sustainable movement. Uh, ESG, I think, is just the latest iteration of it. And I think that we would be uh, mistaken if we were to say, well, look, Larry Fink no longer is using ESG. Therefore, we won the battle because here's what's going to happen. All they're going to do is just change to a different, uh, you, you know, like line or, uh, you know, uh, catchphrase. And um, what what scares me is... Um, uh, the European Union really going full bore into this because as I understand it, in order for American businesses to do business in Europe, and if they're part of a European uh, company supply chain, then they have to abide by this. 
So not only are we getting it from, <clears throat> uh, you know, the Biden administration, Treasury Department, all sorts of other executive agencies here in the United States, but we're also getting it from the European Union, which is really pushing this stuff. I think they are years ahead of us. And we've already seen what's happened in Europe, in Germany in particular, when you do this, uh, this, this move to renewables and to, you know, this, uh, this energy uh, transformation that is not ready for prime time yet. And I think that that is, uh, th we just have to keep hammering that point home. Uh, unless you want to live in a place in a country where energy is going to be rationed and, uh, in which the summertime you're going to be told, sorry, but you have to set your thermostat to what we say you need to set your thermostat to. And you have, just like Justin said, you have to buy the kind of car we are going to uh, tell you to buy the kind of air conditioner you can have the kind of, you know, gas stove, blah, 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 on and on and on. I mean, it's just, it, the list keeps growing and growing and growing. Um, I'm, I'm worried because I don't see a pushback at the organic level yet. Uh, but also, Donnie, I shared with you a story that um, according to a very recent poll, I think it was a week ago, uh, only only like less than 20 percent of the American people even have a clue of what ESG is. So I think that it's it still is being um, used by the media and by these institutions as, oh, this is a great thing. We care about the environment. Oh, we care about diversity. Oh, we care about making sure that our boardrooms are not a bunch of old white men, you know, the, in, in the boys club anymore. So like on its face, I think that the American people might say, oh, that sounds good. However, when they are forced to understand, okay, well, if we do this and this is how it's going to impact your life, inflation is going to get worse. You're not going to be able to drive the kind of car you want and your life, your living standards are going to, you know, decline. I really hope that that is actually going to resonate with them. We haven't gotten to that point yet. And this goes back to what I said, I think a couple of weeks ago when we were on with Lenny about the pain pleasure principle, people still, I think, derive more pleasure from virtue signaling and, and supporting these things, even though they might not be supporting them, you know, fully throated than the uh, pain that they're going to receive in terms of, Oh no, why am I now not allowed to got to drive the kind of car I want or you know set my uh, temperature the way I want or why you know uh, do I have to uh, get the kind of air conditioning unit that the administration says? So I think until we get you know to that threshold, I think that this is still just uh, you know it, it hasn't hit home yet for most Americans. We're doing all we can to explain to them that hey, if we keep going down this road, it's going to impact your life and it's going to be a very negative impact. I think that hasn't resonated yet, but I still think that uh, we have work to do, and I'm going to continue, you know, doing what we can. And the good thing about this is, um, you know, this is not a law. Uh, the administration is pushing this through, you know, executive agencies. However, as we knew uh, when Donald Trump was in office. He opposed all this stuff and he was moving in the opposite direction. So thank God this is not, uh, you know, uh, the law of the land by any means. But I do think that that means it's that much more important that we focus like a laser on 2024 and undoing a lot of this stuff that the uh, bureaucracy and the deep state is doing without, you know, uh, getting permission from the voters, like Justin said. Yeah, Jim. There's another. There's another uh, article in the in the show notes that again I don't think we're going to dive too deep into. This is 1792 Exchange, and they've got a um, an analysis of the different proxy voting that goes on with the state pension funds. And this this shows this chart uh, shows that you know all all of these uh, like pension funds, whether it's in a blue state or a red state, the proxy voting that goes on behalf of the shares owned by these funds, like. 
like one of them, it's like Alabama, like 50% of the votes go pro ESG thing, you know? So it's like even states that are taking action against ESG, it's like your own taxpayer money is going in favor of this to the tune of 50% sometimes. So yeah. again, it's like, we might have, we might score some like superficial wins here or there, but it just, the problem is so deeply rooted that uh, it, it's just a shame that this isn't like a, a number one issue for like, Every candidate in the race right now, when we talk about the presidential candidates, what's your take on everything we've talked about so far? Yeah, well, uh, you know, Justin, you're you're a lot smarter than me. Um, I wanted to say that publicly on the podcast, so you can use that as a clip later. But um, there, there's a system. There's a there's an economic and political system. There's a definition. There's a term for it when when government and corporations combine their power to control society. I forget. I forget. It begins with an F, I think. Rhymes with fascism. I don't know. Yeah, fun. (laughs) But, uh, you know, the the, and this is exactly right. And this is this is the inevitable. This makes me actually whenever we talk about the subject, it actually makes me sometimes pretty depressed because, you know, we've been following this ESG stuff for a long time. Uh, We've been working with um, trying to convince state legislatures and governors to do what they can to push back on it. And, you know, we would get excited. We'd get happy. Like, um, I believe, was it Florida that said, now nah, we're, we're going to be pulling all of public uh, pensions and, um, you know, state investments out of anything with ESG. And I would say, wow, that's great. Look, look, uh, Justin, we're making progress. This is fantastic news. And Justin be saying, like, they won't even feel that. We're talking, they control... Um, trillions and trillions of dollars of of uh of investments of, of capital um they have decided the, the the left in the government in the deep state have decided that um what the people want and what we vote for is problematic to their aims so we will just ignore them we will go around them and we will consolidate our power in such a way that um esg that the left agenda which is basically all this is it, it's basically a social agenda um, that's being pushed, an economic agenda that is being pushed that is not um, freedom-oriented. It's not um, free market capitalism as it should be practiced. It's a command and control society that the people will never vote for. But if we combine the forces of an administrative state globally, plus all of the corporations and all of the money, um, then we will finally achieve the control that we've always wanted. And um, I'm not saying I shouldn't say I'm disappointed that corporations that, you know, that are supposed to be thriving in a free society decided to throw in with these leftists who, um, in, you know, in government and administrative state power, um, you know, but they did because now it's even better for them. So instead of competing on a on a on a on a relatively even economic and business playing field, they get to just rig all the rules in their favor. So they get to pick the winners and losers. Um, and we are the losers and they are the winners. And all of it is, again, just to uh, obtain and maintain control over the populace. I mean, we we will be getting products that we don't need, that we don't want. Um, I was thinking this morning, actually, it's it's not exactly ESG, but it's kind of related. When you, when you laid out the U.S. Treasury Department is laying out principles, just suggestions, guys. But this is what we want you to be able to do in order to, to uh, participate in, in a so-called free market economy. You have to do all these things that are environmentally free, to get to net zero. One of the ways we're supposedly going to be getting to net zero is um, the pushing of electric vehicles on, on, a, on a population here in the United States that has no need for them and doesn't want them. 
Um, I saw the other day that the Ford Motor Company, which laid off thousands of auto workers because they don't need them anymore, see, because we'll be making electric vehicles now. We don't need nearly as many workers to make those. So we're going to lay off all of these um, all of these auto workers. We're going to make electric vehicles to help us get to net zero. And Ford has now stopped shipping any more uh, F-150 Lightning uh, pickup trucks to any dealers anywhere in the country because they can't sell any of them anymore. Nobody wants them. <laughs> And it doesn't matter what we want. See, this is how all this works. You're not going to get to actually choose what you want in a free marketplace. You're not going to have a lot of choices on this anymore. You're going to take what they want, uh, what they want to give you. Um, and then that's that. And uh, so we, we're, we're, we're very far down the road to a very less free society right now. Hey, yeah, Donnie, can I, can I just add, add something real quick? No, you um, can't. Okay. No, just kidding. Well, well I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> So uh, one of the things that I've, you know, uh, noticed in studying, you know, uh, history and politics and policy and all this stuff is that the left plays uh, the long game. And I think this, you know, goes back to the progressive era, 19, you know, early 1900s when they said, OK, we need to take um, we need to take the schools under our control. OK, now they have the media under their uh, their control. Now they have, you know, bureaucracy and federal agencies under their control. They they wield such power over society by controlling these key institutions. What worries me over the long term is that the uh, the next generation is buying into this stuff pretty much hook, line and sinker. Whenever I'm around young people and, you know, any of these things come up, it's like they just automatically, you know, say, well, of course, climate change is terrible. And of course, we need to do all this stuff to prevent it from happening. So I think right now we are kind of in this uh, this like pivotal point where those of us who grew up before all this stuff really started to, to take shape. We're still kind of pushing back against it, you know, like the, you know, the baby boomers and, and uh, you know, people in my generation. However, it really does, does worry me because people who are in uh, grade school, high school and college, you know, now and in the past, you know, few years have just been indoctrinated and brainwashed into this stuff. And just to bring it to a uh, completely different uh, topic, look what's going on right now on college campuses pertaining to the, uh, you know, the events in the Mideast. It's just mind boggling that they are typically and I'm not all of them, but in general, so many young people are just automatically buying the propaganda that, you know, Palestine's, you know, the the, you know, the victim here and Israel's like, you know, the 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 big bad warmonger. So if they're able to buy that kind of nonsense and that garbage, it makes sense to me that they're able to buy the garbage, you know, spewed by. DEI, CRT, all the, you know, climate change is an existential threat, you know, crap. And, you know, because they are buying that, that means that, you know, in the future, I think this stuff is going to take shape much more easily. And that to me is something that I think we need to be well aware of and why we cannot under any circumstances give up the fight for the hearts and minds of young people. Because if we do that, then I think that we are uh, going to lose over the long term and we, you know, cannot let that happen. Yeah, I mean, the, the message is is very clear. Uh, you know, I've heard that people's eyes glaze over when you, you know, refer to something as just some like, you know, series of letters like ESG or something like that. But I mean, what you have to understand is ESG at best is the biggest cronious system ever devised by man and at worst an end around to have a, a collectivized command economy. Uh, ruled by like the elites and all of that. So that's what we're up against. And that's what we've been trying to fight back against for the past couple of years. And our latest report in that effort is, like I said, what I mentioned at the beginning of the show is a presidential report card grading all of the candidates that have thrown their hat into the ring based on their stances and positions and 
rhetoric and actions when it comes to fighting back against ESG. So, Justin, you and I kind of came up with this idea during a phone call months ago, and we thought, like, this is a great idea. Let, let's run with this. So we worked on it uh, for you know a few months, laid it out, got it out there, just released this last week. So uh, anything you have to say kind of right off the bat before we just start going through the candidates and uh, explaining the grades that they were all given. No, no. I mean, I, I guess uh, in terms of uh, the methodology of how we went about doing this, um, you know, this is a complicated subject because a lot of politicians, some politicians have done a ton on this and other politicians have not done a lot on this. And it's a fairly new issue. So some of the presidential candidates haven't uh, been in office at a time when they would be doing things on this necessarily. And so we took an all encompassing approach to figure out how to produce these grades. We looked at things that the politicians have said in the past. And presently we looked at their campaign um, websites. We looked at, uh, and their policy platforms on their campaign websites. Uh, we reached out to the campaigns when we had questions uh, we looked at their voting record. So we, we tried to take the fairest approach possible. And mm -hmm. because I know there's going to be people that assume this, and there already have been, and they're going to make this accusation, we, we did not in any way, this was not about playing favorites at all, nor, nor are these grades meant to be a grade about the candidate in total, right? right. Like this isn't saying this candidate is an A-plus candidate generally what we're we're specifically focused on one thing and that one thing is the esg the, the and stopping esg and how good the candidate's going to be in that one area so we're just looking at the policies yeah, yeah. we're not no, telling wanna, people who to I vote for or not or anything like that i, I want to reiterate that point because we posted these all over social media and there was all these people who are like so and so gets a uh, what grade like no that's crazy it's just like this is just right. an anti-esg it's just looking at this one sliver while I say it's a very important piece of the, the puzzle for them, it's not all of the puzzle for them. And also, these grades don't necessarily reflect some sort of endorsement by any of us or the Heartland Institute or whatever. So call off the lawyers, Jim. This is just a report that we put together uh, based on those those uh, those policies. metrics that Justin. Was yeah, it's on. an evaluation of their of their ESG or anti ESG policies or the lack thereof, and that's all this is about. All right, so should, let's let's start going through it here. So let's uh, let's just uh, tackle tackle the first one. Scroll down a little bit there, Andy. See, nope, keep going. There we go. Ron DeSantis is at the top of our list. Well, should we start at the top or should we start at the bottom? What do you think, Jim? Bottom. All right, go all the way to the bottom. That's Jim's more fun. Charge, so. That's more fun anyway. So uh, setting the setting the bar, <laughs> who would have guessed? Mr. Joe Biden, the big guy himself, gets an F. Lowest grade that we've given. Absolutely nothing positive to attribute it to uh, to this guy when it comes to fighting back against ESG. In fact, there's only negatives. He undid all the rules established by the Trump administration when in the waning days of that administration. He directed the SEC and the OCC and the Department of Labor to facilitate ESG objectives. He established the Made in America office, uh, which, you know, is says 
you know, the anagram of that or whatever is, uh, is Mao. Uh, but it's actually, you know, and it sounds good made in America office, but it's actually there to cover for pro ESG practices. He vetoed bipartisan bill that would have forced fiduciaries to safeguard American retirees accounts by focusing purely on material investment factors. He vetoed that this guy has clearly been in favor of ESG. He's got quotes talking about the era of shareholder capitalism being uh, over this. This guy is a Davos guy, basically in, in every way that you could be. Uh, so he gets soundly, soundly an F in our grade. Uh, Jim, that doesn't surprise you, does it? It Didn't does not. Sorry. Yeah. Good. Thanks for giving me the, uh, the, thanks for giving me three minutes to unmute myself here. So, uh, <laughs> uh, no, it's not surprising. I mean, um, I mean, I, no, I gotta be careful here. Um, <laughs> our president, I'll just say our president, um, isn't really our president. I mean, his, his entire administration is old Obama cronies and staffers, and they are all on the extreme hard left. And so through the vessel of an old man um, who I doubt even, you know, knows what's going on um, <laughs> on most days um, is, is implementing the hard leftist agenda. And they're, like I said, like we've talked about, you know, is full on the ESG bandwagon and they are full on getting their way um, through, not through the ballot box, not through legislation, not through any of that, but by imposing their will through, with the cooperation of uh, big corporations. And as, you know, Justin has talked about, and you have too, Donnie, you know, a million times, is the, the real keystone, the, where this really got moving and has really started to take hold is through the lending institutions by big finance, um, not just the United States, but around the globe. And if you can't get a loan because your business is going to increase CO2 emissions, um, you have now just decided to control, uh, do, to implement the entire radical leftist uh, environmental agenda through finance. Uh, it's brilliant. And frankly, we, sh we should be, you know, I, I try to get too pessimistic, but part of me thinks, wow, we're, we're actually pretty fortunate that they didn't think about this. They didn't think of this decades ago um, because it's really only starting to take hold now. But, you know, when you have a president of the United States that says here, it's up on the screen, it's way past time to put an end to the era of shareholder capitalism. That's what capitalism is. <laughs> if if, if right. corporations right. are not are not looking out for the fiduciary duty of their shareholders, they're not that's not capitalism at all. It's something else. And it's it's really more fascistic, especially when you're co cooperating with government than it is any kind of um, any kind of capitalist system at all. So we have a president of the of these United States of America who is a, basically against capitalism um, and they are against it. They're against capitalism because when people are free to make their own choices through their investments, through the products that they buy, through the jobs that they pursue, all of these things, when people are free to do that stuff, um, that's bad news. Obviously, if you're a command and control kind of guy like Joe Biden and Barack Obama and all of everybody in his administration is. And so everything they do is aimed to take more of your freedom away. All of it. I can't think of a single policy that this administration has even floated, let alone implemented, that increased the freedom, either the personal or uh, economic freedom of any American. Not one. 
um, you know, the four years prior to that with uh, with Donald Trump, there were plenty of policies that increased uh, economic and personal freedom. None of that is happening in this in this in this administration. You should have given him an F minus. F is actually not a low enough grade. <laughs> yeah, there is no such thing as F minuses. That was told to me by Chris, who was a teacher. Chris, uh, I'm not going to go to each one of you for uh, comments on every one of these candidates. We'd be here for another hour. But because it's a special occasion and it's Joe Biden, um, what do you have to say about the current president of the United States when it comes to ESG and this idea of a pseudo command economy? I think. Jim is right on all points. Um, to be honest, I don't know if Joe Biden even understands all this stuff. No, but no, I do. I, don't think but, he I mean, most yeah, no, I know. I, I don't think he does. <laughs> I, I truly don't. Although, let's remember that he was a shill for uh, the credit card companies as a senator, and he did a lot of stuff to make sure that they, you know, got you know special favors from government mm -hmm. and and you know passed passed laws to make sure. As and and he was, uh, I think, Jim, he was on the Senate uh, Banking Committee, correct? So yeah. I mean, he had a lot of power of this kind of stuff. But um, in terms of his administration, I think that these are just, you know, people who are making decisions on his behalf. And uh, I don't think Joe Biden necessarily understands any of this stuff, but he has people, you know, who are making decisions that are absolutely uh, making the problem worse, not better. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. All right. So, Joe Biden, you get an F. Um, put that in there because we wanted that nice red color in there. You know, we were thinking about just doing Republicans, but we wanted to set the bottom of the bar as well. So F for Joe Biden. F Joe. Bi oh, wait, no, sorry. All right, so now let's move up the ladder a little bit here. In uh, coming in tenth place in our list is the good old Robert F. Kennedy Jr. So RFK Jr. He spent a substantial bit of his career dedicated to attacking the fossil fuel industry and climate deniers. He's criticized the corporate actions uh, when it comes to climate change. He's had some good quotes criticizing the current state of the climate change debate. And he's also, you know, uh, had said some nice things when it comes to other topics that don't relate to this at all. But I think people have to realize that uh, this guy is, generally speaking, not on our side when it comes to this issue. So he's supported solutions that have tinges of ESG. You can go on his website and see some of this stuff. This includes uh, using the government to push for clean energy resources, regenerative agriculture, a whole bunch of stuff that's kind of tangential to ESG. So because of this, he is squarely in the D column. Um, so Chris, uh, or well, actually, I'll, I'll give uh, either of you the option to talk about this guy because, you know, this one, I feel like I have friends and colleagues that are like, unusually interested in, in, you know, supporting this guy just because he says a couple of things on a couple of issues uh, that are good. So, so Jim, Chris, any of you have kind of strong feelings about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Sorry that I say well, it like I mean, Elaine Bennis from Seinfeld too. Go ahead. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. Well, look, um, you know, he, I've, <laughs> we've all heard or seen, you know, conservative and libertarian leaning friends, um, you know, looking over at RFK Jr. and and kind of being interested because they said, wow, he's saying some interesting things. He was against COVID lockdowns. He's against forced vaccinations. He's against all of that stuff. And for a freedom loving person, that's pretty darn good news because almost nobody in, in connected or close to government uh, says any of those things publicly. Certainly not anybody who is, frankly, a registered Democrat. So he does stand out in that way. But he is a man who uh, would put you, me, Justin, and Chris in jail for uh, climate crimes. Um, I'm pretty certain of that. Um, 
And the idea that, um, you know, he's some sort of um, free market libertarian is uh, is just not true. Um, he is, um, I, I guess, I, I suppose, outside of vaccines and, uh, and COVID policy, he's probably about as doctrinaire in, in controlling our lives as anybody else would be. And um, uh, and one last thing, actually, I, I think I saw it was yesterday or the day before sometime very recently. RFK Jr. came out in favor of reparations, racial reparations. And so uh, I would think that would be the last straw for anybody on the right thinking that um, they might support a uh, RFK Jr. independent run or anything like that. So he he, did, yeah. he certainly earned his D. He certainly earned his D. Yeah, it's not not as bad as uh, as Joe Biden, again, setting the, the bar at the bottom, but yeah. uh, not very not great. All right, let's move up. So that actually that that takes care of any of the Democrats that we that we uh, put in this list. We were thinking about putting, what was that one guy that's running as an independent, Chris? Uh, what's his name? Uh, can't oh, Cornell West. <laughs> we were thinking about putting him in there, but I don't think there was much to find in terms of ESG. So we didn't put him in the list. So rounding out the bottom of our Republican side of the list is good old Governor Chris Christie. So he gets a C minus. So there is very little to find on Chris Christie on this topic. When I did the first round of research for this project, I found nothing. I couldn't find anything. It was one. Uh, I think Jack was doing some research and he found some quotes of, of uh, Chris Christie criticizing ESG. But but Chris Christie has a very, um, if I wanted to be more than fair, I guess I would say spotty record when it comes to environmental stuff. I mean, he has done certain things that are that are pretty good and he supported increased domestic oil production. But on other occasions, he has sounded his support for climate action based on a 97 percent justification, all of that type of stuff. He even announced a uh, moratorium on new coal plant permits in New Jersey. Jersey. So his record is pretty spotty and there's just very little out there of him even like noting the existence of ESG. So for those reasons, C minus C for Chris Christie. Uh, Chris, do you have anything to say about this former governor of New Jersey? Well, just simply because he accepts the narrative, the false narrative that climate change is an existential crisis and we need to uh, we need to invest in uh, so-called green energy as a solution to that means that he buys into that. And since he buys into that, that means that he's then going to take policies and push them that are going to solve that non-existent problem. So mm -hmm. for me, one of the, one of the, just the total like baseline measures is does this person actually buy into the lie that is climate change or are they actually a free thinker and a rational person who uses evidence to make, uh, you know, sound judgments? And unfortunately, as we're going to see, Chris Christie is not the only Republican who um, who buys into this. Right. And, uh, you know, at the last presidential debate, I think it was last one, it might have been the one before. One of the questions, you know, was, you know. It, it was it was framed as climate change is happening and therefore what will you do to to stop it? Unfortunately, many of the Republican candidates just took that as 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 a you know factual premise. Only a few of them, ones that we graded higher, uh, who we'll discuss later, actually pushed back and said, "Wait a second, there is no climate change you know existential crisis. Therefore, all the all these things that you're pushing, especially under the E." 
are are going to be counterproductive. Are going to you know make make the economy worse. It's wealth redistribution, cronyism. I mean, blah 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 blah. Yeah. So the fact that Chris Christie buys into this makes me think, okay, this guy's just he's he's hopeless. Yeah, and, and for the record, like I said, no favoritism here. We did not take off any points for Chris Chris, Chris Christie snuggling with Barack Obama on that runway a few years ago. We did not take any points off for that. Uh, Asa Hutchinson is the next person coming in in 10th place on our list, or sorry, ninth place in our list. The former Arkansas governor, not much to find in regards to Asa on the topic of ESG. He signed a pledge to sue the federal government if it mandated emissions reductions. He's committed to the revitalization of uh, domestic oil production, and he did loosely uh, promise to rein in ESG, but there's just not too much to find on there. Uh, nothing on his website uh, in regards to fighting back against ESG. Asa Hutchinson, I think, is still in the race, but probably barely. So let's just move on. All right, let's go up to uh, let's go up to seventh place. Nikki Haley getting a C plus. So she might, out of all of these candidates, be the least vocal when it comes to ESG. She's been pretty pro-energy. She supports boosting domestic oil production. She helped the U.S. pull out of the Paris Climate Accords. And the only quote that we can find on her, scouring the internet, the only quote that we could find on uh, from her talking about ESG was one that Justin and Chris solicited from her when they were writing an article about her several months ago. It was literally the only uh, quote that exists, and it's only there because Chris and Justin reached out to her. So, And the quote itself, you know, while it's uh, kind of anti-ESG, it doesn't really give you a great uh, sense that she knows exactly the implications of it. It's just like, oh, yeah, ESG is bad. Great. Okay, that's it. So because of those things, she can't get anything higher than a C plus. Jim, I think, Nikki I, I Haley. Think a, I think it's a little unfair. I mean, you know, if you look at her policies, just because she doesn't say a lot about ESG, um, it doesn't mean that she should get it. I mean, I think at worst, she would get a B, right? I mean, you know, she says, let's call ESG what it is. Corporate socialism, uh, cor corporate socialism. That's true. And that's, is that not a more clear statement than maybe guys that are or candidates that are up higher in this report card? I mean, so, some of the, I mean, you can go and check our science machine that we ran all the data through. Right. Uh, <laughs> but, well, uh, I mean, I, yeah, I, I know. Look, she, I, I would, if, if Nikki Haley was president of the United States, she's, she's about as globalist as they, as they come, I would imagine. Uh, I, I don't see her as somebody I mean, corporate socialism. strongly, you know, who would stand strong for free market capitalism and against the, you know, the controls and against, I frankly don't, I wouldn't trust her on climate, to be honest. And, and Jim, squishy. Jim, and, and that, that's one of the main reasons why we did this because she is squishy and her, she has a, uh, a, a spotty track record on, on climate. And I think, uh, at the first of the, or yeah, I think it was the first, uh, president or the GOP, uh, debates when the topic of climate change brought up, she did say, well, it is a problem and it needs solutions. So the fact that right. she is even, you know, acknowledging that it's a problem and that, you know, CO2 emissions are a problem, which we know is just completely false. That means that she's open to some yeah. of these the pseudo solutions, which means that in my mind, she is going to definitely drop in terms of her grade. I, yeah, she says the right things. I think she says the right things when to the right audience. But then, you know, when she's uh, 
in in more of a left uh, audience like i've seen her on msnbc and cnn and stuff and when they push her on the climate change stuff she does say of course it's a problem of course yes, man make climate yes. change so oh yeah, also they're... like i've never i've never heard anybody that's like really deep in the anti-esg movement refer to esg as corporate socialism like I've heard other things being referred to as corporate socialism, whether it's like, you know, uh, like corporate welfare or all these subsidies or bailouts and all of that stuff. But that's not exactly what ESG is. So like that, that's one of the things. And in, in, in I'll right. kind of show like throughout the rest of the, the rankings that that is something that we that we did judge candidates on. It's like, do you understand what ESG yeah, is? And that quote true. didn't ring to me like she fully understood. It's bad. I get it. So I'm going to say yeah. other things that are bad. But I don't really get the sense that she fully understands what it is. I've, I've changed my mind. She actually deserves a lower grade, C minus, <laughs> <laughs> because right. she she is among the she is among the uh, you know a, a stable of Republicans or, or supposedly people on the right who do think that climate change is a is a huge problem and that humans can solve it and that the way to solve it is through is through manipulating the market. We'll find market solutions to climate change. That's all of that is garbage. And um, anybody who holds who holds to that is. Uh, dangerous to be honest though all right let's get to the most important person in the entire race doug burnham getting a b minus he uh signed on to a policy statement with 18 other republican governors committing to using the power of their office to fight esg he approved legislation that restricts using state funds to advance esg objectives however he was dinged on being generally quiet about esg he signed legislation to provide tax incentives to reduce emissions for hydrocarbon companies uh, he also stated goals to make the state, his state, carbon neutral by 2030. So considering those things, uh, you know, I don't think he could have gotten much higher than a B minus. But Doug Burgum, again, uh, you know, I think uh, he's going to get knocked out of the race soon by playing some more pickup basketball with his team. So let's move on from him. No further comment. He'll, necessary. he'll make a wonderful energy secretary. One day. <laughs> sure. All right. So this might be one of the more surprising uh, rankings on our list. And that is Vivek Ramaswamy. Only pulling a B on our presidential scorecard for anti-ESG. And, and that should be surprising to some because Ramaswamy, Vivek Ramaswamy, made a name for himself in the early phases of this campaign by basically being Mr. Anti-ESG. He uh, started an anti-ESG asset management company. He's written books about the problems associated with ESG. He's even prioritized fighting ESG for his campaign. However, why we dinged him on this uh, is because he hasn't achieved much in the fight against ESG. And now, obviously, that's a, you know, that's um, he's no, you know, he's not in government. So, like, what exactly can he do? Um, but he also has been very quiet, very, very quiet about a stance on stopping financial institutions and insurance companies from using ESG in their decision making when it comes to the idea of fair access. I have not seen a word about that solution from this gentleman. And then the other thing that, uh, you know, you have to kind of think about is, yes, he has, uh, you know, built a anti-ESG management company. But, you know, if you think about it, that company kind of loses its uniqueness if ESG doesn't exist. So, you know, there might be a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's the term? Um mixed motives yeah i don't know so so that's why uh for the, those reasons that i stated vivek only gets a b he does not reach the a tier 
of this uh, of this list. Now, Chris, you were in all the meetings when we were deciding all of these criterias and the rankings and all of that stuff. And we probably spent more time talking about Vivek Ramaswamy than maybe anyone else on this list. So what do you have to say, especially being somebody that's read his books and is probably more familiar with any of his content uh, than most people? What do you have to say about Vivek? Well, I think one of the things that we kept in mind was he his writing books as this is becoming a, you know, uh, an issue that is, you know, gaining traction. However, he also has a monetary incentive to benefit exactly. from this. And those two things to me are a little bit of a conflict that make me hesitant to wonder conflict is he, right. yeah, is he saying this? you know, because he genuinely means it, or is he saying this because he like, we, he has a, um, a mutual fund strive, which benefits from, you know, companies that engage in fossil fuel production. So, I mean, I don't want to call into question his motives. Uh, but I think actions do speak louder than words. Writing a book is great. Um, but he does not have, uh, a track record that we can look back on and say, look, he did a, B and C, which right. we can say for, the candidates who earned higher grades. That is right. Um, all right, uh, Jim, unless you have something to say about Mr. Ramaswamy here. No, I would just, and it's going to lead into the others uh, that we're going to show on here, but you see, we show here in the report card that you can get by going over to uh, heartland.org slash ESG that the, um, the gold standard here are policies uh, designed to stop ESG financial discrimination. Um, and as you say, Vivek, Vivek is not really uh, super strong on that. At least there's no evidence of it. Exactly. And, but others are. That's right. And uh, also, one other thing to say is that we reached out to all of these campaigns and gave them a chance to kind of fill us in with anything else that um, they, we may have missed. We showed them a rough draft of the of the grades and the reports that we were going to put out there. Uh, and gave them a chance to respond. So, you know, all, all, all of these people had a chance to weigh in and maybe bump up their grade if it was unfairly too low. So just want to point that out too. Or if they, or if they would have sent me a uh, envelope of cash, you know, <laughs> that, that, that might've, you know, made their scores jump a little bit. Uh, that's jokes, jokes, everybody. Tim Scott is uh, fourth from the top here. Tim Scott getting an A minus. He participated in multiple anti-ESG bills at the federal level. One bill would have codified fair access at a fair uh, at a federal level. He sent a letter to the Department of Labor protesting its pro-ESG rules, sent a letter to the Department of the Treasury and the SEC rebuking their pro-ESG policies. We dinged him on, haven't uh, talked about the issue much in his campaign. And he's done some stuff, but has had very little success. This is one of the candidates that if you look on their website, you don't see anything in regards to ESG under the policy positions or anything like that. However, because of the kind of the federal level and his advancing of these bills and the support of these bills, we thought it fair to put him in the A column, but with a little minus sign at the end of it. Um, not very high in the polls, so let's move on in sake of time and go to our Top three. So um, Donald Trump, while he is below, if you were to actually look at how this thing is is uh, laid out, he is below Mike Pence. But the only reason that I put him below Mike Pence, because I laid this whole thing out, is because alphabetically, Trump's last name comes after Pence. So in essence, they're tied. Mike Pence and Donald Trump are tied with A rankings. 
I want to talk about Donald Trump. He's great when it comes to anti-ESG rhetoric. Uh, he seems to understand the issue. The Department of Labor rule and the OCC rule that he put into place in the kind of the waning months of his administration. Uh, he has stated plans to scrap ESG once he wins the White House again. And uh, the only thing that we dinged him on uh, when it comes to this is, uh, I guess there was a couple of small things. One is that he doesn't seem to prioritize ESG as much as others. Now, granted, he's got a lot of other things on his plate when it comes to his kind of priorities of his ascension to the presidency again. And uh, the only other thing was, oh, yeah, that um, there probably could have been a little bit more of a concerted effort, you know, maybe a legislative effort when he held the White House uh, to do something about ESG. And it was just kind of those executive rules that were kind of put into place that were easily just tossed aside by the next administration, that maybe we could have done a little bit more there on ESG. But A, is a very respectable respectable score and uh justin just popped in but i'm going to also mention mike pence getting an a uh, uh we gave him some partial credit for some of the achievements of the trump administration since he was the vice president during all of that uh, but also what kind of surprised me with with mike pence is that he authored a very very good wall street journal article that accurately outlined the threat of esg and, and I compare this to, you know, the time that I spent talking about Nikki Haley, where if you read this Wall Street Journal article, it's like, OK, Mike Pence understands this issue. So when a candidate shows, expresses that they understand the issue and, and see how big of a threat it is, that does really well for them uh, in, in the rankings. So, Justin, you, you missed our conversation for the bottom portion of this uh uh, this list here, but Donald Trump, Mike Pence, both getting an A. Any comments on those two gentlemen? Uh, yeah, I mean, the only thing, I, no, I, I think you covered it pretty well. I think, uh, yeah, the reason Mike Pence, I, I think Mike Pence has been more vocal about it. Donald Trump really hasn't spent much time talking about it. And that I think kind of offset the fact that Donald Trump was actually president when the administration put things into place, but really doesn't talk a lot about ESG unfortunately. So I think those two things kind of offset. And that's why they're both in that range. So. That's right. Uh, Jim, Chris, anything that you want to say about uh, either of these two gentlemen? These were the ones that were kind of the lightning rods when I was posting all these things all over social media. Mike Pence, how could he get an A? Oh, this is unbelievable. Uh, Donald Trump, you know, he's getting attacked by the deep state. He needs an A++++++. And it's <laughs> just like, all right, again, we're talking about ESG here. We're talking about a very specific Thing here you know but uh anything any anything you want to say before we get to our number one on the list let's go to number one let's do it all right number one setting the bar top of our list number one in our rankings ron desantis gets an a plus so he uh he is extensive and personally involved in uh in the anti-ESG work that was going on in Florida, restrictions on the ESG in regards to government contracts, pensions, and other funds. Uh the legislation that was passed in Florida also included fair access, prohibiting financial institutions from considering many non-financial criteria when making decisions on loans and other financial things. And in, in to that point that I talked about with, uh, you know, uh, Mike Pence and and not with Nikki Haley is that Ron DeSantis's messaging is on point 
when it comes to ESG. If you watch the press conference when he was like rolling out or introducing the anti-ESG legislation, he seems to understand the true insidious nature of this social credit system for corporations. I mean, he in it, he like mentions Klaus Schwab. He talks about the Davos elites. Like he talks about how this is an end around of the legislative process. Like he understands it. Like he gets what ESG is. The only ding that we gave him um, is uh, the legislation in Florida didn't include fair access requirements to insurance companies. And now we're not entirely sure if that's just like an oversight or, or what, or if there's any like kind of reasoning behind that. But that was like basically the only thing that we can ding him on. Uh, and we didn't even think that that was enough to, to justify lowering it uh, below uh, an A plus, but uh, Justin, I'll go to you uh, again because you missed out on some of the more fun conversations of the people <clears throat> south on this list. But uh, yeah, those, any, are, those are the better ones for sure. Any comments on Ron DeSantis getting an A plus? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, look, I think um, there hasn't been anybody better on the issue than Ron DeSantis. That's just what it comes down to. And really, the whole government in Florida, I mean, the head of the, the Senate there, the, the head of the House of Representatives, a guy named Paul Renner, um, the um, various people in the executive branch in, in the DeSantis administration, um, everybody from the state AG and state treasurer down on through the ranks, like everybody's on the same page. And my guess is because I've, Having seen this battle play out in many, many states, um, and it rarely, rarely, even in deep red states, do you see everybody on the same page. And, and so yeah. you have to believe that in Florida, it's probably because it comes from the top. It comes from Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is a um, a force in for Florida politics. He's the most important person in Florida by far. That's not always true, by the way, in a lot of states. Sometimes the governor is not the most powerful political figure in a state, uh, but it is in this case, without a doubt. And I think he just got everybody in the room at some point and said, look, this is a priority and we're going to make it a priority and everyone's going to go along with it. And I think that's why you see everyone going along with it. And so for him to do this and to get other governors on board, um, he, I don't, uh, the, the, that 18 state alliance that he's built with governors across the country, most of those uh, red states, like he's just done so much on this issue that if he were president, I really think the ESG problem, um, other than the European aspect of it, which we really haven't talked that much about on this episode, but we can, you know, we've, we've done that before in the past, other than the European ESG mandates and how that impacts things, the ESG problem in America excluding that issue would pretty much be solved if Ron DeSantis were president and we had a Republican uh, led, you know, Congress and Senate. Uh, I think it would probably be solved, or at least that would be our best chance at solving it. So yes. that's why I say that. Now I'm not saying Donald Trump or somebody else wouldn't come in there for all I know, Nikki Haley could be president and, and it would be the same thing. I don't know, but based on what we've seen so far, based on the way they've talked about it, based on the policies, based on the priorities that people have. Like, I just think Ron DeSantis deserves the A plus. There's just no doubt about it in my mind. I think yeah, another so reason, another reason why uh, Ron DeSantis, you know, got the highest grade is because he leans into the, uh, the social aspect of this. I think a lot of <clears throat> the other uh, candidates are afraid to touch the social aspect of this, but Ron DeSantis is, you know, brave, he's courageous, and he goes in and tells it like it is. 
whether it's you know the the you know transgender stuff or you know Disney and and, and some of the you know terrible things that they're doing, um, I think that that is something that he is uh, uniquely um, you know able to do. And I think a lot of the other candidates are afraid to step into that arena. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think Justin ahead, nails it. I mean, Ron DeSantis isn't just right. Doesn't not only doesn't does he have the right policies? He understands this issue. Um, backwards and forwards like no other person running for president. And that's so important because if you don't understand what you are fighting, you will not be effective at it. And Ron DeSantis yeah, there, obviously has proven to be effective at it. Yeah, there, there's times, uh, and Justin can attest to this, there's times where we've seen Ron DeSantis like quotes and statements put out by him where we're like, was he reading like stuff that we've written? <laughs> like it's seriously like he's like yes. tuned in to our podcast or something, repeating some of the same yeah. rhetoric and all of that when it comes to being well, anti-ESG. He, he he definitely gets it, and I and I will say I will say this because we we do deserve we do do deserve some credit for what happened in Florida with the legislation there. Uh, Heartland hosted a, a meeting of lawmakers. Back in 2022, I believe, in the summer in Dallas, if I remember right. Mm. And um, at the whole point of the conference was it was to bring state lawmakers in from all across the country to talk about ESG and what we can do about ESG. And one of the lawmakers who attended that conference, who has been in touch with people at Heartland on this issue, uh, was the sponsor of this legislation in the house of representatives was the key person working on this issue in Florida. So there is no doubt in my mind whatsoever that they just so happened that what they did in Florida was exactly what we suggested that they do at this conference. And the legislature legislator who was the sponsor attended that conference where we were informing lawmakers about what we think is a really important issue that's the impact that a that a, a really well-functioning think tank can have on mm -hmm. these kinds of important issues. Um, and and frankly, it's also a really good um, it, it's a really good story about how a think tank that is nationally focused, but on state issues is really important because most of the think tanks are either only focused on what happens in Washington, D.C., or. They're focused only on what happens in one particular state, but you don't have a lot of think tanks like Heartland that is focused on what's happening in states, in all the states everywhere nationally. And we're going to try to make, you know, improve life through the states everywhere. That is exceedingly rare. There's very few places that will do that. And we're one of those places that, that has done it. And the results speak for themselves. And I am hopeful that the ESG issue is going to be uh, tackled even more intensely this next time around in 2024 because uh, of the success in Florida. And now there's this huge success story. There's been success stories in other states as well. And I think that legislators, they like to take, they like to build a momentum in other states to pass laws in their states. And I think we're going to see a lot of action on ESG uh, going forward. And hopefully it becomes a, a national issue with a presidential campaigns and then that will really spark things uh moving forward so very exciting i think 2024 is going to be the biggest year for esg 2024 and maybe 2025 depending on who's president um that we've seen so far we have a real chance to actually win that war which seemed inconceivable three years ago you yeah, know two to three absolutely years ago. Inconceivable. yeah
Yeah, we we've told that story where we you know we we just like you know basically like brought to light this whole thing of ESG, but then we just sat there being like, what are the solutions? Like we don't know, <laughs> but then we've seen <laughs> this much success. It's been yeah. it's been it's been great. I'll tell you but... what, the solution is simple: get Joe Biden out of the White House, get Ron DeSantis into the White House. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we, achieved. Uh, achieved when we when we were working on this. When we're working on this, say, this, this is what a, this is what a think tank is for. This is what we do. You know, you sit around and say, well, what's the answer? I don't know. Let's think about it. <laughs> let's think about <laughs> yeah. it. Let's talk to people. Let's research this and let's figure out a way. Yeah, find, to fix finding this solutions, problem. spreading those solutions, educating all of that stuff. But uh, when we were working on this initially with with Glenn Beck, he accurately uh, went on went on the airwaves and said that ESG is the most important issue going on right now, and that it should be used as a litmus test ag against anybody that's running for office, uh, you know, state or federal. And that if they don't understand the issue, uh, and, and they don't like pay it the, the its dues and how important it is, they don't deserve to be in office. So that is kind of the the thing that inspired this whole idea of doing this report card. And it shows who, you know, I mentioned that ESG is the backbone of the Great Reset. And this report card shows who would be best equipped to break that backbone of the Great Reset. So that's our episode. If anyone else got anything to say, we're already 15 minutes long. Anything you want to, any, any, any anecdotes, anything you want to get off your chest before we sign off for the week? Hearing nothing. I want to thank everybody in the chat for joining us. Thank you for supporting the show. Uh, if you are an audio only listener catching the show on a Friday or later, leave a review for us on iTunes. It'd be greatly appreciated. And you could also join us a day earlier on Thursdays at noon central time where we are live streaming on Facebook and YouTube and rumble and Twitter. And you can join the conversation, throw your comments and questions in the chat. Uh, maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. You could also use that super chat functionality to support the show that way, or you could help the show out by not spending a penny, but only spending a couple of seconds hitting that subscribe button, sharing this content, liking it, or just leaving a comment under the video all helps break that big tech algorithm that prevents content like this from being shown to more people. Uh, if you would like, you can follow us on Twitter at in the tank pod. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for the show, feel free to email us at in the tank podcast at gmail.com. Jim Lakely, where can the fine people find you at Jay Lakely on Twitter at heartland inst on Twitter and always visit heartland.org. Fantastic. Justin Haskins. Same question at Justin T Haskins on Facebook and Twitter primarily or X, whatever we're calling it. Perfect. And Chris Talgo, what do you have to pitch today? Uh, Harlan.org, stoppingsocialism.com. Man, a few words. All right. Thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you next week.